this is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben off the cheek, and you're listening to the London, London, London Three podcast. podcast. One. Hello, everyone, and welcome oh, back. Sorry, hold on. That's my <laughs> okay. bad. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. I forgot to press record after I saved the other one. Let me go to Ocean Audio again. Soz two six new. Okay, and I'm good. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to part two of this London is Blue mailbag. With you today is Joe Tweeds and Yasin McLean. And in this second part of the mailbag, we're going to be talking a little bit about some of the uh, questions surrounding the ownership and a little bit about the composition or, or board sort of aspect of this as well, just to kind of see where that's heading. Um, thank you for this segment, or thank you, you to uh, Legend MA, William Donahue, Caleb Seekins, the Chelsea Vision. I think it's that's Ola Langer. I don't know if that's correct. Please tell me if I've said that incorrectly. Um, and Matt Carter for questions on this section. So again, uh, lots of questions on similar themes here. Yaz, we've sort of gripped them into three kind of main chunks, but you did get a direct question, which I thought was uh, very interesting. So uh, we're going to start with that one. So you were asked, who should the new owner be? And I think the interesting part here was that they asked for not a specific person or group, but sort of what kind of personality or demeanour um, do they have to have to own the club in a successful way? Um, so I guess it's it's what are you looking for in a in sort of a new ownership group? Whether that is to do with the the football side of things, whether it's to do with sort of the the social side of things around the club, whether it's to do with the the, the charitable aspects. What what are you looking for from a prospective owner or new owner? Yeah, I think um, I think it's interesting. I think I think yeah, I think who they are is a, a lot less important than kind of what they are and how they are and how they act and everything like that. Um, but I did have sort of preferences through the process, which I think, I think, I think certain ownership groups, I wasn't a fan of just how they went around it. The Sir Martin Broughton trying to get in celebs to front diversity just felt a bit cheap to me. I, I wasn't a huge fan of that. Um, I also wasn't a massive fan of, both the Seb Cohen Broughton bid as well as the recent Jim Ratcliffe bid sort of just being, yeah, British bid for British club. And it's like, I think to be honest, we've just come out of 20 years with a Roman <laughs> owner. Uh, I mean, a Russian owner in Roman who um, we didn't really give a monkeys what his nationality was. It was more about his guardianship of the club and, and what kind of owner he was. So again, I, I wasn't, didn't love that rhetoric either. I'd much rather the best person take over rather than, them be domestic based or anything like that or a fan or not a fan i'm not really fussed on that either um i think i think it's looking like the the todd bowley consortium um backed by sort of clear lake capital and and some other financiers are the preferred bidder at the moment looking like they're gonna um take over and i think i think that's kind of where i was leaning anyway i do like bowley when he when i've heard him speak i do like um, everything I've read around the Dodgers and how they're run. Um, he has a 27% stake in the Lakers, who are a bit of a circus. So I'm hoping he doesn't have any executive <laughs> power in running the Lakers. Um, but yeah, I think answering this question, before getting to the nuts and bolts of how the place is run, because I think that is very important. And I think as a club, um, I think Roman was very much uh, owner of his time in that he came in, and was the first of his type. And I think Chelsea as a club, in terms of the new money coming into the club, figured out a lot of stuff on the fly from 2004, three onwards. Um, 
And I think it was a mix of complacency and this is how we've done it. So we'll always do it, which has led to us being a little bit in the, in the dust of, of City and Liverpool. And I think the whole sacking managers and signing two players to keep them happy every three years, two years worked in 2008. So it will work again now in 2018. I don't, I think that's been shown not to be true. I think it's not a surprise that the two clubs who are ruling things in England right now, um, and arguably Europe, Man City just missed out, but that would have been a second Champions League final in two years for them. Liverpool have, I think, three now under Klopp. Um, Our process-based, data-driven, frugal in a way, like for for all of City's doping, financially doping and spending uh, stupid money on things like Grealish, their best signings in De Bruyne looks like a bargain now. Aguero looked like a bargain in hindsight. Um, that they, when they spend, they make it count. So, so I think it's not a coincidence that process-driven and data-driven clubs are the ones running things at the moment in the in the league. Um, ones who use their money wisely, and I think there's a lot of promise with Bowley around that in terms of um, the the Dodgers seem to happily be wanting to spend. And although that's a very shallow thing, I'm a fan. I use football as enjoyment and escapism. Um, like it does my head in when we have to have these sort of geopolitical um, conversations and, and stuff like that. Like I watch it <laughs> to watch the game and watch yeah. good players and enjoy the game. So of course, an owner who comes in and wants to spend money is great. That's what I want. That's what I want. I, 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 I I grew up in West London and I could have gone and supported QPR when I was a kid. I I, I don't. I support a a club that have been successful through my entire lifetime and I want that to continue. So number one, I think the fact that they have previous in spending with the Dodgers is a good thing. Like, and, and although it's a shallow sort of spoiled thing, it's a good thing as a fan. Um, I think as well, how they use that money with the Dodgers seems seems big as well. If you read anything about their operation, they are super professional. The development program for their minor league teams in baseball seems to be league leading. Um, early on, they were very, very big. Similar to Roman, in it sounds like making the players feel valued in terms of um, food that they wanted. There was a phrase of look after the wives early on, making sure that the families were in, in good communication with the club and everything like that. Um, so I think just the ultra professionalization of streamlining of processes and having, having a ruthlessness, but having a patience balanced with that and not just sacking a manager because of a run of results. And I think in Tuchel, we do have someone who is worth seeing what they can do with three, four, five years in charge. Um, and I guess that's kind of it, like putting money into the club, investing in the club, building on the success um, that has been here before, but with a bit more process, with a bit more patience. Um, and that's kind of just on the actual nuts and bolts of it. I think just in terms of who I'd want as a guy, I think it's it's refreshing to not now, we're not going to be into a Putin-esque political sort of, pick your poison, how you feel about it with like Manchester city have like, like Newcastle have where a lot of supporters with good conscience want to enjoy an escape with their team. Like I've just mentioned, but now have this political baggage that they kind of have to have in the back of their mind. Um, to be honest, I've had that with certain Abramovich things in the past. I'm quite relieved that I don't necessarily have to have that with just a, a hedge fund manager from America. Um, 
And I think one of the things that I would, it's, it's not a massive thing, but I think one of the things that endeared Roman to everyone early on was, yes, he was a billionaire. Yes, he was obscenely wealthy and one of the richest men in the world at the time of taking over Chelsea. But there was a real human aspect to it as well, where you saw him in his box at Stamford Bridge and he fidgeting when things were near the goal mouth and near the corner and um, you saw him passionately celebrating stuff and you saw him be down when we conceded and there was this kind of feeling of not tokenistic fandom of Mike Ashley wearing a Newcastle shirt and all the fans actually hate him but someone who was there with us through the highs and the lows of it and and I think that was just a really nice thing to see as a fan and to know that he was invested like a fan and he didn't want to be counting a penny and a pound all the time and didn't want to take all his profit out of it and everything like that. And, and I think that's something as well. I think Bowley is, is going to be a lot more profit focused. Clear Lake capital are going to have a 60% stake that that is a bit of an alarm bell in terms of compared to like a Ratcliffe bid, arguably. Um, but where Todd Bowley has talked on, he sees the biggest investment uh, return coming from a winning team like you are you're not going to be apart from the New York Knicks there aren't many marketable teams who suck um, <laughs> you know like, yeah. and that's mainly because of the market they're in um, and all of a sudden now the Nets have some stars and are winning more and oh the new generation of fan is starting to go more towards towards the Nets so sport is, there's no sport doesn't take no prisoners you can have this brilliant marketable team but if you're not winning, like I was stunned to see recently that of the top six in England, the only team who have commercially fallen in the last five years have been Manchester United because they've been out of Europe so much. And that is with their markets in America and Asia and 20 years stranglehold on, on the market, best marketing in the game and all their riches and their commercial stuff has fallen away. So I think, I think he's not an idiot. He knows that a winning team is going to be a marketable team and, and a team with return. So we won't ever have that kind of ridiculous magic of a guy just spending with reckless abandon because he's enjoying it. But it would be nice if we did get a feeling as fans that, that these people were in it for the, for the fun, for the ride, um, for the creating of a great team and not looking to count a penny and count a pound. That, that would be one big thing for me. Yeah, that uh, the, the last thing there, there was there's something you touched on earlier. So I, I think from from my perspective is also like important to to draw out here. Um, the the approach to I, I suppose I'm thinking around some of the, the sort of Paul Cannaville meetings that we've we've seen, and I think you're right. The the sort of the the kind of token gestures towards I'm, I'm probably alluding specifically to the Ricketts bid here in, in terms of how they were trying to distance themselves from some some pretty abhorrent sort of views and comments that, that the family have made historically and, and things that were leaked in emails and stuff like that. How how big a part of, of the new ownership, let's say in terms of like their social moral fabric, how how big um, does that factor into your kind of decision making around what kind of person you want? Is it is it important? You know, is it is it something that you want to see continuing on? I'm, I'm thinking sort of about the Chelsea Foundation being the most charitable, you know, foundation in the Premier League in terms of money they spend on initiatives and the work they do, that sort of thing. Is that a big part of this for you, or is that just sort of yeah? A and, and ironically, I can speak with with a bit of authority, I guess, on it because many yeah. moons ago, I've worked in the community for another club um, in London, and so worked with the Chelsea Foundation and stuff. Um, I think, if I'm totally honest, I think they they are very good with the big stuff. They could, you know, I think. 
But one thing I sort of said with the Broughton thing, I think I tweeted it, but unless Serena Williams is doing tennis lessons on the world's end of state in Chelsea herself, I, I don't really want to hear it. Like, I think, <laughs> I think there is, I think Canaville made himself very clear that he was sort of pro Todd Bowley early. And I, I, I think the only person he really had any other good things to say about was the Pajliuka bid. Um, he didn't have much good to say about the Ricketts. He didn't have much good to say about um, the Broughton bid. Um, and I think that authenticity sort of came through in those meetings. So I, I'm hopeful that that stuff isn't just lip service with the foundation and and it is, and it, they do pump money into that and not just money, but local expertise and, and do really impactful work. I think Abramovich was very good with anti-Semitism, which was obviously a cause which was close to his heart. It would be even better if we could carry on with that and be a champion of, of, even more causes and be as inclusive a, cl a club as we can be. Um, like, I, I mean, I can say just having been in the stands at Chelsea as a, an ethnically Irish Muslim, I am in a weird place in a lot of football grounds, especially <laughs> Chelsea. They, it's, it's got its history and stuff. And you still, I'd still hear things which I'm, which are awful. Um, and so, so I think there, there is a lot of work to still do on that. Um, and yeah, I, I, I do think there, I think there is something that you can be proud of your ownership group to do the right thing. Like for all the, for all the, um, the things I said about, we watched the, for the game and for the players, I think clubs are parts of the community. And I do think that Bowley seems to realize that um, yeah. uniquely compared to America. I, the Cronky group at Arsenal, basically admitted that they didn't get that at first. They, they tried to run it like the Rams and like the Nuggets and um, not Stan. I think Josh's son has, is on video saying, yeah, we got it totally wrong. Like we didn't understand the community aspect and how ingrained in hundred year old communities these clubs are. Um, and I think that is going to be important to, to get that balance right. I think Bowley seemed as well to be one of the most um agreeable with all the Chelsea supporter trust stuff as well um so so definitely the that stuff is is massive um yeah and and he's made all the right noises about it and and again like I, it's, I talk about complacency as well um going away from the foundation stuff a little bit but when Roman came in we were still at Harleton where QPR are now moved us out of Harlington, moved us to Cobham, moved the academy building right next door, bought a stadium for the, for the women and the academy to use in Kings Meadow in, in, um, where is that? Like Kings, Kingston way. Um, but again, I do feel like we've maybe started to, there's been rumblings that, okay, Cobham isn't quite as state of the art as Spurs' gaff now. And Manchester city are starting to make inroads in, in the academy stuff and, and catch up there. And I do kind of hope that the new money and new ownership comes in and, and not tears it down, but does do a root and branch review of, okay, what are the good bits to keep of the women's team and the academy? Cause it is a club and it goes back to that community thing. It's a club like, I only because of Chelsea keep an eye on the women's super league now because it's my club and I have an affinity just by nature of it being my club. Um, so I think, I think just a review of everything top to bottom, not to necessarily undo it or if it's all great, yeah. great, but yeah, just to, to not shirk on any of that stuff as well would be massive. Like it would be a massive shame 
with women's game growing and growing and Chelsea have been at the forefront of that, it would be a, a shame if over the next three to five years, they let Arsenal and Manchester City catch up um, and overtake there. Same with the academy. The academies maybe come at the end of a cycle now. I'd like to see a really competitive attitude to, to getting that back up as well. Yeah. But, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not asking for much, am I? Um, <laughs> but um, I think I think just, yeah, a human element, um, a process-driven element. Obviously, this, the shallow part of me wants them to spend as well. Um, and, and yeah, and but I think, I think they'll be in choppy water with the fans if there is a feeling of penny pinching and of... Um, yeah, and, and maybe that comes from a spoiled place, but at the same time, you you want to be competitive, and it's what the fan base of a certain age. There's there's fans who I know who have who have only known Mourinho post Mourinho Chelsea, so it is it is tough to to just redress those. And I don't think you should. I don't think you should just let standards slip because of whatever. Just because there's less money doesn't mean you can't get double the return on investing it better. You know, so um, so yeah, just keep us competitive. Um, foundation stuff's massive keep the whole club growing not just the academy and the women and I'd like a human element too I'd like to feel like it's not just this faceless consortium of of, of millions and have maybe more um, open press um, interaction yeah. and stuff to let us know what what I mean obviously Tinkerman will be very well well um, backed by knowing what the processes are and how the club is run and that sort of stuff. I think that would be good. A bit more transparency and a bit more process. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really fantastic answer. And, and just before we move to the second question, I, I guess as well, slightly tongue-in-cheek with the, the Chelsea women's, I, I'm the same from maybe the past two seasons taking a lot more of an interest in, in the team. But it is actually nice to watch a, a Chelsea centre-forward, Sam Kerr, actually be able to finish chances and score goals. Feels a little bit of a departure from watching the men's team. But uh, yeah, that's probably an, another pod for another time. All right, Chelsea fans, editor Brandon back, jumping in. We got to take a break to thank our sponsors for Financially Supporting the Show. But don't worry, there's more Tinkerman right after the break. Here we go. All right, our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because, well... It's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in, you know, we're all focused on our macros with protein, carbs, and, and fat. And now we gotta add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables. It's just hard to eat that many servings a day. So uh, I started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient. I'm getting better gut health and a more uh, durable resistant immune system. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of the things. Again, I do it. It's easy. It's fast. It's quick. Uh, I throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work, drink it, it, it goes down quickly. Uh, and like I said, you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily. Uh, but hey, don't listen to me. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills, supplements to look out for your gut health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say, give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health 
and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Um, we have a, a second question here, which is, I suppose, building a little bit on what you were saying there, Yaz, in terms of they're asking for some thoughts on hiring a proper sporting director to help shape the team. And a sort of offshoot of that question and sort of, again, a couple that were sort of overlapping was whether keeping past board members, I'm assuming by this they mean the sort of reports around Buck and, and Granovskaya, whether keeping them, uh, and they use the words, continuing the trend of complacency when it comes to addressing the deep-rooted squad issues. So... Sporting director, do we need somebody to come in and, and actually take the reins and, and really give a structure there? And when it comes to passport members, is there anyone that you think deserves to, to stay, even if it's for sort of a handover period? And, and do you think that they um, sort of, if they were to remain on a more slightly more permanent basis, that would keep sort of the the kind of complacency that you were speaking about earlier in terms of, you know, we've, we've kind of done it this way and this is how it's done. And, you know, maybe that's sort of 10, 15 years out of date now. Yeah, I think... Um there will need to be changes. Um, I'm not, I, I don't love how we've been running the transfer market in particular. I think things like the Academy of Women, like I don't want to um, just, I think it's very easy for fans to just assume that everything revolves around transfers. Um, and it does in large part, but there's also professionalism standards, um, community stuff, academy stuff, women's stuff, stadium stuff. Um, just in like things like Marina Granovskaya having all this amazing reputation in terms of how she just negotiates and how honest she is with players and stuff in terms of when they kind of promise something will get done, it will get done. And I think it's tough to know the ins and outs. Someone like Marina Granovskaya seems very well regarded by players and really well respected by um other clubs and, and other executives who negotiate. Um, so it's, it's tough because you want to keep that sort of stuff. Like you want to keep things that make a good professional environment good. I think there definitely needs to be a look at just how money is wasted because yeah. it is, it's ridiculous. Um, and to be honest, that like I'm not in the room, so that might not be a, uh, talent identification issue the talent identification might be brilliant because it seems like um it was funny when the the leipzig defender who we linked with there was a thing of oh chelsea have actually been monitoring him for three years and it's like all right that's that's great but you you haven't acted on it so maybe it's just having the right person in the room to empower more risk-taking in recruitment and more um early early moves and cheaper moves and a different philosophy and it might not be a talent ID issue. It might well be that all of these players are there on the database and we know who we want, but um, someone only wants someone if they've done it for two seasons at this level, et cetera, et cetera. I think, I think so it's, if you don't throw the baby out of the bathwater, I think there is a lot that needs to be sorted, um, especially in terms of recruitment and especially in terms of ensuring the pathway from the Academy. Like, okay, we've flirted with it now, but, you, you, we feel like we're, I feel like we're just one manager away from it completely shutting again. Um, and for all the esteem that people like Neil Barth are held in and stuff like that, it, see, it doesn't seem to have counted for much before Lampard came. So, um, so I, I definitely think there needs to be changes in terms of recruitment. I definitely think there needs to be, especially if we're tightening our belts financially, more, uh, just a more robust pathway to not let a Mark Guehi happen again, not let a Tino Livermento happen again. 
Um, but obviously there's issues. Like I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to be balanced there, but the, the situation of defenders is ridiculous. Um, how any organization is letting three staff members run their deals down who are, have no obvious replacements in the squad is, is negligent. Um, I, I never understood signing Ziyech and Havertz in the same window when their statistical profiles were, were so similar. Um, Werner is one of our high, highest earners just so Liverpool didn't get him. It feels like, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, of issues there. Obviously we've talked uh, months ago on the squad is made up of five players for this manager, four players for that manager, three players for this manager. Um, so yeah, it, we're obviously not as well run as a Liverpool or a Manchester city and that needs to change, but without knowing the ins and outs, I wouldn't know who specifically is, is responsible for that. What I would say is I feel like new owners coming in from a new sporting background are going to have to learn football and there will be a transitional period and that won't be easy. And so by all means, keep these people on in post for a year um, or so. But I would like to think that people investing this much money in their own venture over the next eight to 18 months are also going to be doing their own audit of, of processes, of reviews, um, and 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 appoint the right people. So so I I wouldn't be against the a, a sporting director. I'm not a hundred percent what Petacek's role is. I'm not a hundred percent how involved he is in that sort of stuff. Um, I, I yeah, I just want the best person in for the job, doing the best job. Um, and if that means people come out, that means people leave. That going great. I think I think the people have been in posts so long now at the club from going on a decade. It's got stale. Um, Yeah, I think it has. And I think things that worked in 2008 don't work in 2018. And um, you you get a march stolen you by other clubs. um, And and it wouldn't surprise me to see change in the next sort of 18 months. But I do think there is a value in keeping the right people on in the interim. Um, But yes, I definitely think there's an issue of they're just going to do things the same way. But I, I really struggle to believe that people investing $4 billion or pounds um, are going to just not put their own stamp on something. So um, I'd be really surprised if there isn't, if there isn't um, change in process, which is exciting because they've had success um, in probably the most comparable American sport in terms of no salary cap. There's no salary cap and there's minor leagues. So I guess that's the closest thing you can get to an academy. Um, so there's there's a player development and, and expenditure parallel that, for example, we were linked with an NBA owner. But I can tell you now that NBA owner very rarely goes into the luxury tax of their salary cap. Um, so there's an excuse to not spend money. Whereas in, in the in Major League Baseball, they've shown with the Dodgers that they do. The, the, the model of player development sounds very good. Um, so that's, that's promising, but I would be really shocked if they don't bring their own people in because a lot of the people like Marina and stuff have been Abramovich associates pre Chelsea. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I think one, one short question before we get onto the the last sort of theme here, yes, is do, do you think there is an argument to make that even purely from, from an optics standpoint, you know, fans certainly on social media, the past year, maybe two years have got very, invested in seeing a massive 
change in, in how the club is is run, how it's operated? Is there an argument to make that even, as you say, even if we have sort of competent people um, doing sort of the, the grunt work in terms of recruitment, the talent ID, that, that actually shifting those people on um, gives the the new owners like like a perception of being competent because, you know, the we, we've, we've spent money so poorly for such a significant amount of time. Is there is there an argument to make there or a small argument to make that, that, that those optics of, of clearing house somewhat would, would be beneficial? Yeah, I think so. And I think, um, I think as well, we mentioned sort of academy cycles. I think there's just a cycle, isn't there? Like yeah. um, these people who are in charge of the club will have worked intimately with each other every day for going on a decade. And I think if, if one was to go, then I think you'd, you'd lose a lot of them. But I, I think it's a good point. I think, I think they could, but, I, but at the same time, I hope not, you know, I hope if there's change, it's, it's purposeful, genuine change rather than um, Petacek as a, as a new mate to sit next to on the plane for away games. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, so I, I get your point. Yeah. And I yeah, think, yeah. I think, um, I think there will be some sort of PR of that, of our new data analyst or new um, director of player personnel or, or some some fluff people. But I would like them to be purposeful, I guess. I'd just, yeah, yeah I'd, like, I'd like them to actually come in with a remit to close that gap, as, as we've talked about yeah. many, many times. I think the, the last uh, question, and, and this can be a short or a long answer. Maybe, maybe we'll save a longer one here for, for the sort of the Tinker Men rebuild over the summer episodes. But um, there was a general theme here that certainly when we're looking at new owners, um, I, I have an opinion on this, but what do you think in terms of the new ownership group coming in, when realistically do you think we can compete with Liverpool and City for a Premier League title? And again, I'm assuming in this case, you know, they are going to continue to improve. Other teams around us are going to continue to improve. At what pace do you think that, that we need to sort of head on in terms of a trajectory to, to close the gap with, with uh, Liverpool and City at this point in time? Well, I think, I'm not 100% if it's fully, fully confirmed or just rumoured, but I think Klopp and Pep have both signed extensions, right? Um, yeah, I think so, yeah. So so we're 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 in a tough battle for the long haul anyway. Um I was kind of hoping one of them would just get burnt out and leave. Um I think to be honest, I have a funny suspicion about I I'm not saying it's a write-off and I'm not saying we should just forget about next season, but we have an unprecedented situation of a World Cup just taking half the league away in December, November, which has never happened previously. Um, we have owners that at best are coming in in the middle of May um, with the season ending imminently afterwards, maybe two weeks afterwards, and then the summer window opening two weeks afterwards. That For me, that's a big squeeze there between June and December where I'm not expecting a whole lot of change of upheaval of recruitment um, and I guess of progress in, in relation to those things as well and closing any gaps, then you're going to have a massively disrupted domestic season um, where I think teams like Newcastle who will have 75% of their squad, not at a world cup um, and just have essentially a winter break um, with some extra signings with some more time with their new manager um, and then I think teams like that will could creep up 
um, and and have a better seasons than than otherwise. Players like Diaz and Salah at Liverpool will similarly have, basically have a winter break while everyone else is at the World Cup. Um, so, and I think our main advantage in terms of players being rested are Jorginho, who might not be here, and Ziyech, who seems to be so out of favour now that you wonder if he'll be here next season as well. So, I'm not saying it's a write-off, but I just think we need to be realistic with next season. There's going to be a major disruption um, across the European leagues, I think that will I think that will benefit the teams outside the top, like on the fringes of the top four, like West Ham, um, Newcastle, uh, Wolves. Well, I suppose Wolves will have half the Portugal squad if they make it. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think we have new ownership coming in, which is going to disrupt preseason and recruitment. Then there's going to be a World Cup, which is going to disrupt the whole winter. And then at a cursory glance, it looks like rivals are going to have more advantage there than us. Um, and we're miles off it right now. So, so with all that considered, I'm not expecting a challenge next year at all. Um, I think the best you, we can hope for is kind of standing pat, um, which I know we're going to talk about where exactly that is that we are currently in the, in the next segment. Um, and I think then you can start building for 23-24. And I think that season, I, it, I think football's crazy like that. I think we can close that gap in that quick a time if the right three, four players are signed and the right young players make improvements in line with what they've already done. Um, Reese James has gone in three years from Wigan's best player to, on some nights, Chelsea's best player at the Bernabeu. Um, Mason Mount, I think, has, has improved aspects of his game. Um, we have other players who are under 23, under 25, who are in the first team picture. Kai Havertz, Ben Chilwell still only 25, um, Colwell, Chalabot. We have a lot of young, under sort of a good core of under 26 players that if we have put the right pieces around them, I think 23, 24, I would be looking to challenge. But I maybe it's just me, but I'm not getting any hopes up for next year considering the ownership distraction, considering that we're going to be forced to maybe spend some bad money this summer and replacing players who have left for free. And then the World Cup stuff, I think, just throws a lot of variables and, and randomness into next season. I'm not trying to set myself up for that. But if this ownership grouper is process-driven and, and competitive as they seem to be in their other main sports, um, and we have a process and we keep the right manager and we keep the right players and build around that properly um, with, with two whole pre-seasons... Um, then yeah, I think I, I, t- two years, I guess, would be my shortest answer. Yeah, um, I, I was sort of thinking, yeah, two in an absolute ideal world, two years, I think, is it's probably the the best case scenario. Um, I, it, I suppose it really depends, as you say, on those underlying processes that come in. If there are any major changes to how we how we recruit, how we talent ID. Um, how well some of these returning loanies adapt and, and maybe they they kick on a level, et cetera. Um, yeah, there, there's so many factors to think in. But I, I would say, yeah, two, two to three seasons, again, that's probably in line with um, Liverpool probably improving, maybe Salah or whoever, maybe they regress a bit, but Diaz looks obviously an incredible replacement for him. City will, will be there or thereabouts. Um, maybe you'll see a, a resurgence from, from Manchester United under new management, whatever it might be. Um, Tottenham, Arsenal will be there or thereabouts, I would imagine as well. And, and there's always obviously capacity for Newcastle to to spend an absolute ridiculous amount of money and, and start improving and, and starting to compete as a as a top eight team. So, yeah, I think two years is fair. Three years maybe is is a slightly more pessimistic 
bout of realism, but I certainly agree on that. So, yeah, um, I think that concludes the, the second part of this mailbag um, from, from Yaz and I. Uh, when we return for part three, we'll be looking a little bit at, uh, at Chelsea as a whole, as a collective, looking into the, the system in a little bit more detail, Some a few questions to finish up on some specific players. But until then, I will catch you guys in a bit. All right, Chelsea fans, that is going to wrap up part two. Uh, part three is coming tomorrow. It's going to be all about the systems of play, uh, how good are Chelsea as a team, and individual players as well. Uh, so, again, more Joe and Yaz coming at you. If you enjoy it, tweet at them. Let them know. Uh, they're doing a great job with the Ticket Men series. So, anyways, that's going to wrap us up for this episode. Until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do? Blue flag flying high. <laughs>